Did you realize that Tuesday is already the shortest day of the year? You know, the days are going to get start getting longer, and before you know it, spring will have sprung, and we'll be making summer vacation plans. It's just, it's just all going to be great all through January and February and however long it takes. But you re- do realize, right, that, that time does fly. And, um, you know, I find this every year that you, you think about Christmas, you're preparing for Christmas, and then just whoosh, it's gone. And what I want to do mo- th- this morning is for us just to slow down a little bit. Uh, uh, um, Alan prayed this morning with, as we were praying before the service, just that, God, just help us to slow down and help us to grasp and understand the, the meaning and the reason for Christmas. And so um, there's never a bad time. It's always a good idea to remind ourselves that love came down at Christmas. And that's the theme this Christmas season here. And it's going to be the focus of our service and celebrations on Thursday at our Christmas Eve service, 5 p.m. You don't want to miss that. You'll want to come early as well. If you've been here previous years, you know that uh, people get here early and save seats. So um, you'll pl- want to, uh, to not miss out on that. But just for a moment this morning, I, I want us to, again, just, just take a breath, relax, and remind ourselves again that apart from all the gifts, apart from all of the hoopla of Christmas, the reason and the meaning of Christmas has never changed. It still is always about it being the ultimate expression of a loving Heavenly Father's tender heart of mercy for a world that he had created. When an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, he declared, as Bruce read for us, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. This is indeed great news. An angel announced that God's plan had been fulfilled. The Savior had been born in Bethlehem, no less, just as the prophets had foretold. The birth of the Savior was reason to rejoice greatly. The angel was then joined by a, a, a choir of angels as they praised God and said, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Peace on earth. It has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Fits well on a Christmas card. Take a nice serene picture and kind of just tag it with peace on earth. It, it, it sounds wonderful, and it is. But is it realistic? I mean, any, any notions of peace can be shattered in an instant. Just five weeks ago, we were horrified when the news started reporting about the horror of the ISIS attacks in Paris. Ordinary people just going about the routines of their day, enjoying a meal at a cafe or attending a concert, gunned down execution style. Closer to home, on Thursday night, the quietness of a cold, still December night is shattered by sirens and flashing lights as firefighters respond to a fire just at a home just down the street from us. And then to wake Friday morning and to hear of the horrific and senseless killings of the two Max store employees. Again, peace is shattered. It's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. 
And yet the stress caused by trying to find that perfect gift, all that baking to prepare, the presents to wrap, the cards to send. Do people still send cards? I find that I get fewer and fewer. Maybe that's because I never send cards, but... You know, all, all of the preparations, right? The relatives to visit with, the office parties to attend, and the Christmas plays to go to. It just, it just wears us out. And come Christmas, we're practically exhausted. Peace on earth. Add layers then of, you know, economic uncertainty or relational conflict fear and anxiety due to a recent doctor's appointment, the pain and grief due to the loss of a loved one. How could this little baby in the manger possibly bring peace to my life, yet alone the world? We know that Jesus was described as the Prince of Peace. Jesus was predicted by the prophet Isaiah to be the Prince of Peace, in Isaiah 9, chapter, or chapter 9, verse 6, we read, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Romans in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, makes it clear that we were once enemies of God. And as enemies, we were in conflict with him and had no peace with him. But in spite of the fact that we were enemies of God, God demonstrated his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This made it possible for us to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. The theological term for this is that we are justified. That is, we've been made right with God. Instead of being enemies with God, we are at peace with God. And we we are returned to a state of righteousness in God's sight. Romans 5, 1 summarizes this wonderfully. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But how does that happen? Are there, are there maybe some steps that we could take? Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, wrote a little booklet years ago that outlined what he called Steps to Peace with God. And, and if you're interested and you want to explore this further, you can go on the internet and there's actually a website, peacewithgod.net. And it just follows through these four steps that I want to outline for you this morning. But I think it's good for us just to remind ourselves again, how is it that we are made right with God? How is it that we are at peace with God? And step one is just to understand God's purpose. And God's purpose for our life is peace and life. And he loves us. He, he loves us beyond measure. And he wants us to experience peace and life, peace um, and life, abundant and eternal. We're familiar with John three 16, I'm sure. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Oh, if we only knew how much God loved us. He loves us. He loves us. And we just need to, I just want us to, Just let that truth settle in. He loves us. He loves us. Christmas is all because he loves us. And that is why we can confidently say that love came down at Christmas. Later on in John's gospel, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. A a, a complete life full of purpose, peace, eternal life, abundant life. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And it's available to everyone. But some people don't always experience this peace. 
And why is this peace missing from so many? Partly because, and I'd say probably exclusively, because some have just ruled God out of the equation. And they live self-centered lives. They only focus on themselves. Or they live self-sufficient lives. I have no need of anything. Everything's going peachy and great in my life. It's been said that that each person's been created with like a a God-shaped vacuum or a hole in their lives, in our souls. And life becomes a quest to try to fill it. And so we try to fill it with all sorts of things, relationships and success or man-made happiness. But nothing is everlasting. Nothing brings peace with God except faith in Jesus. Step number two is our problem is separation. God created us in his own image to have this abundant life and to have purpose. Yet we choose to disobey God and go our own willful way. And the result is separation from God. There's this relational gap between us and God. The scriptures say this, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That that every one of us has said, thought, or done things that have missed the mark of God's standard. And missing that mark is sin. And everyone has sinned. And so that's the problem. Because the Bible says, For the wages then of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, there is a price to pay. That instead of life, there is death. And there's this gap. And because there's this gap, many people try to to bridge this separation on their own. They think, well, if I just kind of clean up my life a little bit, and, and, and if I just be a morally good person, if I just do good things then I can be right with God. Or you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to go to church. Or I'm going to give time. I'm going to give money to worthy causes. I'm going, to, I'm going to work at saying all the right things. I'm going to watch my tongue. Maybe they've even been baptized. But ultimately, all of those efforts fail because God had to step in. Because here's the good news. Step three is God's bridge, is the cross. Jesus Christ simply died on the cross for our sins. The beginning of this month, we, we had the second Sunday of Advent, and we had communion, and we reminded ourselves of this, of this truth again. But Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, and he bridged the gap that existed between God and people. Jesus died in our place so that we could live with him forever. For Christ also, Peter writes, suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that's us, to bring you to God. And that is what Jesus did. It was God's initiative. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is why as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, Christmas, we always have to set it into the context of his death, Good Friday, and ultimately the resurrection, Easter, because that is why Jesus came. This baby that we celebrate his birth was born for one specific purpose, to die, to be God's perfect lamb, a once and for all sacrifice of sin, for sin, and then ultimately to conquer death. There's a Christmas song that captures this truth beautifully and powerfully. It's called Welcome to Our World. And one line in it goes like this. Fragile finger sent to heal us. Just picture that little baby. You know the, the baby that everyone loves to just kind of stick their finger and they just kind of instinctively clasp their 
hand around your finger, that little tiny hand was sent to heal us. Tender brow prepared for thorn. Tiny heart whose blood will save us. Unto us is born. Unto us is born. I like how Lynn started this morning and just reminded us that the Christmas carols just in one way or another tell the same story. And I found myself this morning just instinctively really trying to pay attention to those words. What does that mean? And what does that mean? Oh, why, why did they say that? Why did the hymn writer use that? Because they're telling this story that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. So what's step four? It's simply our response that we would receive Christ. And by receiving Jesus, we then receive God's forgiveness. This baby was given the name Jesus specifically because it meant he will save his people from their sins. And salvation is not something that we can earn. We are saved by God's grace alone when we have faith in his son, Jesus Christ. So here's kind of how it works. First, we admit that we're a sinner in need of forgiveness. That's probably the hardest thing because none of us want to think of ourselves that way. But when we acknowledge that we have missed the mark like everyone else, and we believe that Jesus ultimately died for those sins, we can then ask for forgiveness because that's what he offers. And thirdly, we choose. Those are the three words. Admit, believe, and choose. We, We then choose to turn from our sins. That's called repentance. And this is what it means to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior and receive him by faith. And then he gives us two important promises. In John 1, 12, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, who received this free gift, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then in Romans 10, verse 9, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, You will be saved. And then the very next verse summarizes this fourth step beautifully. It says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. We've already covered what that means, being made right with God. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And so I say it again, Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as I outlined these four steps, I mean, what are you thinking? Maybe you're honestly thinking, going, I wonder what's for brunch today. I I, I don't know. But does it make sense to you? And where might you be at? Is there a specific step here that you might be tripping over? I, I suspect for many of you, I'm sure you've heard this before and you believe this and you embrace the truth of Christmas and you know the truth of the gospel story and you know you're forgiven. You know without a doubt you're a child of God. You have no question about your eternal future. Christmas makes total sense to you. Well, then rejoice and celebrate the good news because that's what it is. It's a time to rejoice and to celebrate what God has done. But for others, perhaps you have some questions. I hope that at the very least I've given you something to think about. About God's love and his purpose for you. 
about our sin and separation from God and about Jesus coming to die for our sins, simply believing and receiving this gift. Can I ask each of us this morning to simply ask this question, and it's a yes or no question. Am I at peace with God? Am I at peace with God? And if you can nod your head and say, yes, I absolutely am, then rejoice and be glad because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. And so we can join the angels and sing and rejoice and celebrate His goodness in our lives. But if not, why not? Why not admit your need for forgiveness? God knew that our problem was sin, and so he sent us a Savior, Jesus. Why not receive him today? If you have, want to talk more about that, Pastor Ken and Pastor Ed, myself, we'd love to talk with you. Maybe somebody you came to church with today can talk to you about that. But understand that you and I can live in this place of totally knowing that we are at peace with God and that, as the hymn writer says, it is well with my soul. And just rest in that. And it adds joy and peace and hope to our Christmas. That's how we make peace with God. But let me just add one more piece to this element, peace being P-I-E-C-E, not the peace that we've been talking about, but the peace of God. Because I want us just to be clear, too, that just because we might place our faith and trust in Jesus, you know this all too well, right? That it doesn't just mean that life is all roses and you never struggle with anything ever again. While we have peace with God, the reality is that life can be hard, right? Stuff happens in our lives that we can't explain. There are circumstances in each of our lives that rock us and unsettle us and cause us to worry and to stress. In fact, Jesus promised his disciples that they would have trouble, right? That's a great promise. (laughs) Guess what? You're going to have trouble. He says in John 16, verse 33, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. He also promises in John 14, verse 27, he says, My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And I know it's easier said than done, but that is a message throughout the Bible. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, Don't worry about anything. Anything on your heart this morning? Your mind? Spinning around and around and around? But what does he say? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. There is a peace that comes from knowing that God is in control. 
It's rooted in knowing that no matter what our life circumstances are, we are right with God. He loves us and he has a plan for our lives. And so this peace of God is a sense of well-being that comes from knowing that everything is in control of the one who is called the Prince of Peace. Yes, this tiny baby born in a manger. And so this Christmas, my hope and prayer is that we would know this peace. I have to say, I love Christmas music. And um, one of the things that Tina and I have done all, all through the years is we buy at least one new Christmas album um, every year just to kind of keep it fresh and, and to keep us there. And of course, there's always songs that come along and there's great Christmas songs, right? Songs of joy and celebration, but also great songs of peace and hope. And many of the older Christmas carols that we sing, they, they have some incredible stories behind them. One of the ones I want to just share the story with because it just brings this understanding of the Prince of Peace coming and bringing peace into our lives so that we can be at peace with God, peace with one another, and experience this well-being in our lives is a little town of Bethlehem. The author was actually a pastor and a preacher in the 1860s. His name is Phillips Brooks. And he was only 30 years old when he was already recognized as one of the most dynamic Christian voices in America. He was leading the congregation of Philadelphia's Holy Trinity Church during the bloody years of the Civil War. And just that experience, you can imagine, had, had taken its toll on his life. Everyone in the church knew, knew someone who had either been killed or injured in this conflict. Most of the women to their church services wore black as they mourned the loss of a husband or son. And here this preacher standing before these grieving, mourning people knew that the expectation almost on him was that they wanted him to be inspirational. They wanted to see an end to the war. But in spite of valiant efforts, Philip couldn't give them what they needed most, peace. Well, the war then ended, and he expected that life would return somewhat to normal. Yet, the pain only intensified when President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. Phillips Brooks was only six years into his ministry, but because he was recognized as this dynamic preacher, he was actually asked to speak at the president or at the, at the funeral of, uh, of, of Abraham Lincoln. But the effect of seeing a great leader senselessly killed and the exhaustion of the effort itself left him completely empty. He felt that he had nothing left to give to the flock that he pastured. Pastored. But he's worn out, desperate need of spiritual renewal. And so he took a sabbatical and he toured the Middle East. And it was on Christmas Eve in 1865, he found himself in Jerusalem. But he was amongst all the crowds and it was kind of chaotic. And so he, he bored a horse and he set out for the countryside. In, in spite of the potential danger, he said, he described later, it's just a very peaceful ride. At dusk that night, a sudden sense of awe fell over Brooks. And under a clear sky, the first stars just beginning to, sh to show, he rode into the still tiny and small uh, remote village of Bethlehem. 
And as he did, he recalled the story of the birth of his Savior. For him, it was an incredibly moving experience to be physically present in the place that Jesus was born. This great speaker was all but speechless as he considered the heavenly king born in such modest surroundings. He would later tell his family and friends that, he, that the experience was so overpowering that he described it as something that would be forever singing in his soul. And this experience dramatically changed him and renewed his calling. The dark days ended. The joy of living and his positive attitude returned. He returned from a sabbatical with renewed energy. But the interesting thing is that as great as a speaker he was, he could not find the words to relate the experience with his congregation. And for three years after that experience on Christmas Eve in 1865, the singing in his soul remained strong, but his inability to share the stirring imagery haunted him. And finally, in 1868, as he again thought of riding into Bethlehem at dusk, he didn't have to force the words out. He simply relived, relive, relived the experience and jotted down the lines that seemed to float into his head. His thoughts took the form of a poem. And he took these words and shared them with his friend and church organist, Louis Redner, who tried to compose some music to go along these words, but but his attempts failed. It, it just He couldn't find anything that would do it justice. He actually went to bed on Christmas Eve of now 1868 with no music other than these words. And during the night, he woke, and a melody and a tune was in his head. And that Christmas morning in 1868, the church there in Philadelphia sang, O Little Town of Bethlehem, for the very first time. And it was shared with all the other churches. And of course, we now sing it 150 years later. Against a backdrop of war, of grief, of pain, Phillips Brooks was able to experience peace. Peace with God and the peace of God that passes all understanding. I don't know what is happening in your life right now. I know in some situations, you're dealing with some really tough stuff. But I do know that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came so that we could have peace with God and so that we might know the peace of God. And as we sing this wonderful carol, May we, like Phillips Brooks, experience the overpowering peace and may it also forever be singing in our souls. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come. I'm going to invite you to stand and let's pray together. Father, I'm thinking that Christmas comes around with such amazing regularity every year. And sometimes we hear the same message. And even this morning, we're simply reminded again of this great truth that you love us, that you have a plan for us, but we're separated from you. 
Your word says that we are, in fact, enemies of you. We are in conflict with you. But you made a way possible that we could be made right with you. And Lord, when we're right with you, there is a a peace and a joy that comes that's not dependent on our circumstances. And yet our circumstances often cause us to, to spin into worry and stress and anxiety and fear. And I pray, Father, that you would just speak to each of our hearts, to each of our souls this morning. That for that very thing that we need some peace with, that we can release it to you. That we can do our part, but we're going to trust you, God, to to work out your plans and purposes in ways that we can't understand, we can't relate, we can't come up with answers, we can't come up with fancy words. And I think of Phillips Brooks as he could not give the answers to war, to death, to grief, to pain, and, and in his own heart and soul just being completely empty for trying to inspire people, trying to bring hope. And it was through that experience of him riding into Bethlehem on a horse that he was completely overcome. And Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see this morning and just the ability to experience a measure of that peace this morning when we too are reminded of Bethlehem, the city of David, where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was born, in whose name we pray.